Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hi, guys. I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for being here on this Monday as we kick off a brand new week in Biden's America. Pray for us. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Check me out on social media, on Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore, and on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. The email address, I am at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Getting a ton of your emails. I read them all. I see them all. Keep them coming because I might read yours on the air. All right. Big week this week with Thanksgiving on Thursday. One of my absolutely favorite holidays, a truly American holiday. Really, really special. This week, we are going to have a fab pre-Thanksgiving show on Wednesday with the latest news, of course, which is why you come to this show for the greatest news and analysis you won't get anywhere else. Plus, on Wednesday, we're going to have a fun interview to get you in the holiday spirit. Stay tuned for that. And on Friday, of course, I will be here because the job of saving America never takes a day off. We're going to be joined by a very special major celebrity guest. You're going to want to buckle up for this one. I promise you a huge guest coming up here on the Monica Crowley podcast on Friday, not to be missed. It's a way that you can sort of come out of your turkey coma 
on Thursday. Friday's show is going to be so big. It'll give you a reason to get back on that elliptical or treadmill, get outside, take a jog, work off all those carb calories on Friday. And of course, all holiday weekend long, you're going to want to listen to it again and tell all of your friends. Okay, so that's coming up. We've got a huge week of shows. Okay. All right. I take care of you guys. You know that. Okay. Today, we also have a really big show. I want to deal with the new improved Twitter because this is so much bigger than just one social media platform. Also, we're going to talk to the great New York Post columnist, Carol Markowitz, about some of the things that she has been a thought leader on for two and a half years now, namely COVID, mandates, school closures, and American kids' massive learning loss. It's outrageous. It's criminal what's happened here. This is why I've been calling for a COVID accountability project. And Carol's been a leading voice on all of it, and she will be here. Plus, my thoughts on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. You didn't see that coming, did you? Oh, Monica, the country's hanging by a thread. I know. And we're going to talk about it here today as we do every day. But over the weekend, I saw the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and I have some really special thoughts about what I saw and the experience that it was. Okay, so you are not going to want to miss this. That is coming up toward the end of the show. All right, so here we go. Buckle up. The Monica Memo. Well, love him or hate him, Elon Musk's Twitter is far more fair, fun, and alive than it has ever been. Remember when these social media platforms first launched Facebook, Instagram, Snap, Twitter, all of these platforms? Um, TikTok is a separate issue. It should be banned from the United States. It is a CCP surveillance weapon. And it should not be here. And actually, you've got bipartisan support on removing TikTok. That is a separate issue, okay? But remember when all of these social media platforms first debuted? Nobody had ever seen anything like this before. Nobody had ever done anything like this before. It was a whole brave new world. And it was fun because it was the Wild West and you truly had free speech. Then the big tech oligarchs realized that they had tremendous power to control, monitor, censor the flow of information because so much of it started flowing through their platforms. So it was no longer the New York Times physical paper, it was the New York Times website, which required no censorship because it was on the left and doing the heavy lifting of propaganda. But when these platforms and the oligarchs realized that the platforms were being used to spread the truth, conservative principles, facts, populist sentiment, oh, suddenly there was a problem. Suddenly the oligarchs said, wait a minute, we've got all this power and our platforms are being used for those purposes. Again, facts, truth, conservative ideas and principles, actual debate, God forbid we have a real, authentic, honest debate in America. So the tech oligarchs, most of whom are on the left, most of whom vote Democrat, most of whom pour their massive fortunes into the left, they realized the enormous power they had to constrain the national conversation. 
the global conversation, really, right? So once it dawned on them that they had that power, they began implementing algorithms and weaponizing their platforms in order to control speech, to silence people, intimidate people, punish people for having the quote-unquote wrong views. It wasn't about this standard limit on the First Amendment, which is incitement to violence. You know how the Supreme Court has ruled that you can't incite violence. That is one of the limits, uh, perhaps the most serious one, on the First Amendment, which is, yes, you have free speech and the right to say what you believe and what you think, but you can't put other people in danger. The shouting fire in a crowded theater principle, right? So the folks who run these big tech platforms realized, okay, well, we're still a relatively private enterprise, right? We are, and it's the whole debate of platform versus publisher. They began to intervene to silence, intimidate, suspend, punish people for having the wrong opinion. And the effect has been that those platforms have been used for propaganda purposes rather than as authentic free speech platforms, which is how they began and when they were really the most fun. It was like the Wild West. Remember the early days of Twitter? You basically say or do anything up there again within the legal constraints, but everybody had a voice. And then once the power settled in and the fortunes settled in on these guys, and yes, they're mostly guys, um, they cracked the whip and free speech was no more. And when free speech was no more, it became a lot less fun to be on these platforms. Well, Elon Musk comes along. We talked about this in the early days of this podcast. We started talking about how Elon Musk was saying, well, maybe I should buy it. And it all stemmed from the Babylon Bee. The Babylon Bee, the greatest satire site. We've had these guys on the air. I have done their on-camera podcast, which you should check it out. I posted it on my Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore. So go check it out. But, you know, Musk, who is brilliant and a visionary and a genius, he's also a goofball, which I love about him. And he loved the Babylon Bee. But the Babylon Bee's big, big sin was skewering the left, turning the whole Saul Alinsky principle of mockery on its head and directing it at the left, at the Democrats, at the absurd nature of what was happening in this country. That was their sin. And I think the the tweet that actually got the account suspended was when they were talking about Rachel Levine, you know, the man in a skirt who's a Navy admiral, um, when they said Rachel Levine is a man, that's what, stating a fact, biological man, got them suspended. And Elon Musk could not believe it. He could not believe that they got suspended. And that's the probably the biggest thing that got Musk to get his attention on Twitter and saying, what is it going to take to buy this thing? And then there were a lot of twists and turns and ups and downs, and people thought, well, maybe he will, maybe he won't buy it. Who knows? We don't know what's going to happen. Well, in the end, he got it, vastly overpaid for it. So he's trying to figure out ways to monetize it better and, and get real income streams. And, you know, all of these phonies who say, I'm going to leave Twitter now. It's no longer fun. They're all the left-wing sourpusses who have been having a field day for the last 10 years on Twitter because they've had free speech. 
So, you know, for the last decade plus, it's like been party town for them, whereas us conservatives have been shadow banned, suspended, thrown off, you know, all kinds of things happening to us there. So it hasn't been fun for us. So now the tables have turned. And this is what the left doesn't seem to get. The tables always turn. Nothing in life is ever permanent. And we need to remember that too, as, you know, sort of the, the midterms were disappointing and, you know, uh, the 2020, the whole year of the virus and the shots and the, the BLM and Antifa and Trump and the January 6th and the whole thing has been a pretty dark period for us, right? But just remember, nothing is ever permanent, neither the good times nor the bad times. The tables always turn. God has a sense of humor. So in his latest uh, sense of humor, guess what? Elon Musk has Twitter and he's been making changes. What's been remarkable is Twitter has now become a demolition of safe space lunacy. Let's hit a quick break. When we come back, I want to take this apart even more because it's, it's really something. It's about more than just Twitter. It's about the future of the country and really the future of the West, Twitter is an international platform, don't forget. All right, let's hit this break. When we come back, more on this, plus Carol Markowitz and my thoughts on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which you're not going to want to miss. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double, And the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes So good. It's really delicious, guys. And you'll feel better with more energy, and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. All right, welcome back. So before the break, talking about Elon Musk and Twitter, and again, it's so much bigger than Musk, and it's so much bigger than Twitter, okay? And this is what I want to get into here. Twitter has now become like the demolition derby of the safe space lunacy that has dominated the landscape now for many years, this whole safe space idea that somehow Twitter, Facebook, um, all of these places, your classroom, your favorite restaurant, that all of these 
places need to be a safe space where you can't speak your mind, particularly if you're on our side. Um, you certainly can't allow yourself to actually put words to what you believe. Otherwise, you're going to be canceled. You're going to be thrown out of polite society. And the truth is that whether you like it or not, Twitter, Facebook, all of these social media platforms are the national town square. In fact, the global town square. So again, you can go on strike from these social media platforms. You'd probably be a lot happier if you do that. Probably have greater mental health if you quit on these platforms. But I'm telling you, the reality is that they are the new town square. And they have been for quite a while. So if you want to engage in the world now, you kind of have to be on these platforms. What have I been telling you guys in terms of Sololinsky and with regard to the election and ballot harvesting and ballot curing and early voting and mass mail-in voting? You have to operate in the world as it is rather than in the world as you'd like it to be and then change it. That was Sololinsky's key piece of advice to the left-wing radicals he was training. And they all still do this. They all still operate on that Alinsky concept. And so therefore, so must we. And in this case, we may hate the fact that these tech oligarchs have so much control and these platforms are so dominant. And we do. But we've got to operate in the space as it's presented to us here. Okay, and then try to change it from the inside. This is what Musk is doing. Is Musk perfect? No, of course not. And he's certainly no conservative, but he does believe in free speech and he's doing really the Lord's work over here at Twitter. I mean, I hope it lasts. I hope it doesn't all fall apart and I hope he doesn't let us down, all of which is possible. But for the moment, this is really something of big, big significance here. And I want to break it down. Twitter now has become, like I said, this demolition derby for all of the craziness that's been inflicted on us in terms of restraining and constraining free speech, which is why the left and the regime have gone into total meltdown over what Musk is doing. Twitter was the regime's favorite hiding place for their lies and favorite platform for its evil agenda. This is what they were using to amplify. And yes, the other platforms too, of course, Facebook, Instagram, all of it, all of it. But Twitter was a favorite. It was the go-to hiding place for their lies and their greatest bullhorn for their evil agenda. That now has been taken away from them. And like the wicked witch of the West, when the water of free speech hits them, they melt. They're melting. They're melting. Despots need an absolute lock on speech to do all of their despotic things. Without it, they seethe like demons. They seethe. You see it everywhere. They're losing their absolute grip on absolute power. And so they're flailing, they're acting out, they're spiraling. It's something to behold, really. And as I've been telling you guys from the beginning, from the spring, when word first got out that Musk might do this, I said one of the big reasons that they're going to flip out over this 
is, first of all, they're losing their control on the flow of information on Twitter, which is bad enough. But with truly free speech being allowed on Twitter, it is going to put enormous pressure on the other platforms to loosen up. And Zuckerberg might not want to do it on Instagram and Facebook and everything else. They, they may fight it, but the pressure is going to be brought to bear on them to change. Trust me on this, because everybody's going to flock to Twitter and all these left-wingers, you know, oh, I'm leaving Twitter. CBS News on, I guess it was Saturday, they were like, well, the CBS News, okay, not Susan Sarandon, not Rob Reiner, not Mark Ruffalo, CBS News came out and said, well, we're going to take a pause on Twitter until the chips fall and we see about the security and, uh, you know, we, we're going to, we, we want to just take a pause and see how Musk runs this joint before we come back. So peace out. CBS News, they didn't even last 12 hours. CBS News was back on Twitter. Oh, okay. All, all, all is well. We're back. We're here. Never mind. Absolutely hilarious. All of the same people who said that they were going to leave the country if Trump were elected, they're all still here. They're the same people saying they're going to leave Twitter now. They're all still on the platform. Okay, so it's all just a bogus joke. But with Twitter being a wide open space for free speech, the other platforms are going to rush to catch up. Maybe not to the same extent because Musk is a different character and thinks differently, which is why he's the richest person in the world. But Zuckerberg and the others, they're not going to want to be left behind. And people are going to leave those other platforms or use them less if Twitter is more fun and Twitter is the great place for free speech. It's going to be a competitive drive, and that's going to be very healthy for the other platforms. Mark my words. I'm not saying they're going to be totally open the way Twitter is is moving, but they're going to have to be if they're going to want to survive. They're going to have to loosen up at least a bit. Otherwise, they're going to suffer. And they know it, which is why they're really pissed at Elon Musk. The other big part of this is the restoration of people's accounts which were suspended for mostly for no other reason than they told the truth or they exposed the regime. Now they're coming back, including Project Veritas. We just spoke to James O'Keefe last week, I guess, and we asked him about the restoration of his account and he, you know, he was looking forward to it and they posted for the first time last night. Amazing. Jordan Peterson, Andrew Tate, uh, Conceptual James, all of these really important accounts for holding the regime to account, exposing them, uh, free speech just on our side, uh, huge accounts. But also keep in mind that the accounts that you haven't heard of, regular people, normal Americans who have been thrown off because they, they dared to tell the truth, they are coming back as well. And of course, the 800-pound gorilla, President Trump, Late Saturday night, following this Twitter poll that Elon Musk put up asking if we would like to see Trump reinstated, the answer was yes. I think it was like 52 to 48 percent. So Musk reinstated Trump on Saturday night. Now, Trump has always said he's not going to go back on Twitter. He's going to stick with his own platform, Truth. We will see. 
Also, when people say, well, what if it had gone the other way? Would Musk have not reinstated him? I think Musk was going to do it anyway. But the genius of all of this, and, and this is what the rumor is, that Musk put up that poll as a bot trap. And he was able to like eliminate tens of millions of bots just by enticing them to come in and vote on the poll, most of them voting against Trump coming back. So there's always a method to the madness when you talk about Elon Musk, and we'll see what Trump decides to do. He could easily make it so that he posts on both platforms, you know, the same thing simultaneously. He could certainly do that. Let's see what he does. But, you know, keep in mind that the left, they were all like all of these tech titans and the thousands of people who are now fired from Twitter who used to work there. When all of this was going down a couple of years ago, they were all like, oh, you don't like it here on Twitter? Build your own free speech platform, knowing that it was almost impossible to do that. So I give President Trump and his team tremendous credit for actually going to do that. Because, you know, these Silicon Valley guys, and yes, they're mostly guys, I mean, they have been steeped in this from the time they were three years old. They build these massive dominant platforms. They lock on a monopoly on this, and then they inflict all of this pain on the rest of us, right? So it's very difficult to come out of nowhere and build a platform that is functional, that works, that's efficient, that people will use, and Trump did it with Truth Social. So major, major props to him for that. I am on Truth Social. I love it. If you're not on it, get on it. More competition, the better. But that heavy lift was a huge deal. And then you saw Getter. Getter is also out there run by my friend, Jason Miller. I mean, there are real platforms out there. Look at what they did to Parler, by the way. Parler was really the first one. And props to them for being the first one out of the gate to try to do this. And then big tech came in and squashed them like a bug. So that was a lesson learned. And then the other platforms like Getter and Truth learned the lessons, realized what not to do, and now they are out there thriving. So uh, big respect for them. Look, Elon Musk is like the digital Moses. He is taking these people who have been suspended. And look, I've been shadow banned. I was never suspended thank God, but I've been shadow banned and had all kinds of uh, algorithms waiting on my my account and, and shunting it off and so on. So I've been there, but there are other people who have suffered worse with a total suspension of their accounts for nothing. Elon Musk is like the digital Moses taking all of these accounts, taking people who have not violated terms of service or anything else and bringing them out of slavery out of the gulag, back into the town square. Elon Musk has done more for free speech than Republicans have done in, what, 20 years? And again, here's the point. These social media platforms are the modern town square. Only one now is really about free speech, and that's Twitter, thanks to Musk. Free speech is the oxygen of this constitutional republic. We are not a democracy. And by the way, all the people screaming about the end of democracy are the ones most fiercely trying to destroy it. But they also have no understanding that we are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic, a republic. 
and the fact that so many of your fellow Americans want you silenced without a voice tells you everything you need to know about this war we're in. And it is a war, whether you want to see it that way or not. So we better fight it now while we still can, while we still have some levers to pull. And now, thanks to Elon Musk, one of the biggest levers that we can pull is on Twitter. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to the great Carol Markowitz of the New York Post about COVID mandates, school closures, potential amnesty for those who inflicted all of this bullshit on us. I don't think so. We're going to talk to her about all of that. And at the very end of the show, you're not going to want to miss my thoughts on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Something different and something very special. You're not going to want to miss that. First, though, I want to take a moment to welcome a brand new sponsor, Man Crates. Man Crates has hundreds of totally unique gift options available for all of the special men in your life. Right now, get 20% off orders over $149 with code BF, like boyfriend, BFWEEK22 at mancrates.com. That's BFWEEK22 at mancrates.com. Mancrates packs his gift in unique containers, so watching him open his gift is an unforgettable experience. Personalization is free, and every Mancrates gift comes with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. He'll think it's awesome, or Mancrates will make it right. Get 20% off orders over $149 right now with code BFWEEK22 at mancrates.com. Again, that's code BFWEEK22 at mancrates.com. We'll be right back. Well, I'm so happy to kick off this holiday week with my fabulous friend, Carol Markowitz. Carol is a columnist with the New York Post, and if you're not reading her yet, you should be. Her columns are up at nypost.com and on social media. She is at Carol with a K, Carol. So please go follow her all over social media and read her stuff. You will be smarter for it. And she also joins me now. Hi, Carol. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for having me. Well, of course, it's my pleasure. It's great to have you here. And we've got a lot to talk about. Um, but first, I want everybody to know where you are coming from, both literally and figuratively. And I mean, originally, because now you're in Florida, you fled New York, and we're going to talk about that. But you were born in the Soviet Union, which I, I think anybody coming out of any socialist or communist state has a certain mindset that they bring into freedom, oh, that yeah. they bring into the U.S. So talk to us a little bit about that. Do you remember living there? No, I came when I was under two. And my first memories are of Italy. We lived in Italy on the way over to the U.S. because, you know, there used to be sort of a process to the whole immigration thing, Monica. I know we don't really do that anymore, but <laughs> we were refugees from the Soviet Union. And after getting permission to leave, Italy allowed us in as sort of a staging area while we applied for permission to enter other places. So um, the ex-Soviets were going to America or Canada or Australia or other places. Israel obviously was one of them. And so my earliest memories are of Italy, not of Russia. But Italy was also free. And then you came to the United States. Yeah. Uh, when exactly did you come to the U.S.? In 78. 
in 78. Okay. And so how was that experience? I know you were very young, you know, you're a kid and you're coming to America and your eyes must have been huge like saucers <laughs> when you got here. But what was that experience like coming from Soviet Union to yeah. Italy and then ultimately to America? And how did that experience shape the way you look at the world? So I went to school not speaking English because my parents, you know, I didn't speak English yet. My grandmother and her sister were actually given permission to leave the Soviet Union first. And they were, you know, two older women who had to leave their, um, um, my father, the only, uh, their son, uh, well, my, my grandmother's son. And they left and they came to, to Brooklyn and started making a life here. And then my father was given permission a year later. And then my mother and I were given permission a year after that. So we came in stages and it was a, a really kind of crazy time. My parents talk about getting to the 70s, into New York in the 70s, not a great place to be Jimmy Carter's president. And they, they never really had, you know, obviously any regrets, but they they were like, wow, it's, you know, pretty bad here. Like, can anything turn this around? And of course, Ronald Reagan becomes president in 1980. I have a brother named Ronald. That's not a coincidence. And <laughs> they become, you know, the biggest patriotic Americans ever. And, you know, a lot of times people say to me, was it hard growing up in Brooklyn as a conservative? And I say, well, not really, because my whole community, my whole ex-Soviet Jewish community are conservatives. If you look at a map of Brooklyn, they have been voting red for a while, and they overwhelmingly have been voting red for the last decade. So it, I always felt very comfortable at being myself and expressing my opinions because my community was with me, and we all know what the alternatives were. We all saw leftism in action, and we said, you know, no thanks. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. You know, after I talk to you, I'm going to do another segment um, for the audience about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which took place earlier this month, and they broadcast it this weekend on HBO. And Carol, I mean, it was all... The acts that uh, we grew up with in the 1980s from Duran Duran, Pat Benatar, the Eurythmics, and I'm going to do a whole riff on this. So guys, sit tight for that because you're going to want to hear it. But, you know, it really watching these acts perform and accept their awards and everything, it just catapulted me back to the 1980s, which, you know, yes, obviously we were younger, but it was a much you know, and everybody says, oh, it was a simpler time. But, you know, you did have Ronald Reagan as president. You had a real strong president. America was an optimistic place. Yeah. You know, you had a booming economy after the initial recession in the early 80s. Strong economy coming back, defeating the Soviet Union, um, having right. freedom win and just being proud to be an American of a whole patriotic time. Top gun for crying out loud, the original one. <laughs> right. So it was a different time. And this was really your initial impression of America, right? Yeah. So the other thing I would say is it was a saner time. Um, a lot of things I talk about with New York right now, for example, is we can't, like, New York can't get to step one of acknowledging that crime exists. In the 1980s, even though, you know, it was leftist top to bottom New York, you know, it was before the Giuliani days, it was before um, the Pataki days. This was a time of wall to wall leftist Democrats. But it still wasn't like if you were like, oh, crime's really high. It wasn't like you'd have this carnival of voices saying like, oh, that's racist. You can't say that. Crime is not high. What are you talking about? This crime is down. And, and now it's like these people on Twitter, these journalists who live in safe areas, you can't even get them to acknowledge that crime is real. So I, I feel like 
even though New York was leftist back then too, it was so much more normal because you didn't have to argue over the basics. You didn't have to convince people that crime was exist and crime is bad. And now you have to start from there and we can't, New York can't even get to that step one. Yeah. I mean, it, we're in a very, very difficult situation when we can't even agree on basic premises, right? Like we can't even... Right. There, there's no common culture anymore, which used to bring everybody together. The country used to come together to watch Ed Sullivan or whatever, whatever. Yeah. But we don't have that. And we can't even agree on basic facts, like basic premises. And that's really one of the huge things, forces that are ripping the country apart. That's right. That's exactly it. We can't get to the basic agreements. And I think we used to have that. Even if we disagreed what to do then, we never kind of had where we couldn't agree on there being a problem, that a problem even existed. And it, it's concerning. It's definitely concerning. Again, my my dad came here in 77 and it was the time of New York, um, you know, Summer of Sam, the blackout. It was, it was, it was a really wild time to be in New York City as a new immigrant. But you know, you just felt that things could turn around. And and now it's like, I don't know, can things turn around? Right. It's very dark. I mean, I'm a natural optimist and I believe in America and I think we we need to fight. You know, you and I believe you got to fight to the death to to save this country for your kids and generations to come and everything else. But it's going to be a heavy lift. One of the things, Carol, and I want to pivot here and talk about one of the big things that you have written and talked about extensively for the last two and a half years is COVID. It's the COVID lockdowns and their outrageously destructive impact on individuals, small businesses and kids, particularly with regard to the protracted school closures. You've been talking about this for a long time now, and you, you basically moved your family out of Brooklyn which you're New Yorker, you love it, but you moved to Florida largely because of school closures. So talk to us about how that process happened for you when it dawned on you that these petty little tyrants were actually destroying your family and your children's lives. So we had just moved into our dream house in March 2020 in Brooklyn. Uh, My husband and I are both immigrants. He's from Israel. He grew up in Queens. I grew up in Brooklyn. We were going to be New Yorkers forever. There was never even a question. I never even considered the idea of ever living anywhere else. But also we had um, bought this house. We renovated over a period of like two years. We really struggled. We lived in a, a 600 square foot apartment rental while we renovated with our three kids. And, you know, it was a a tough but happy time. And then COVID hit and it exposed so many things that we kind of didn't want to see maybe or hadn't noticed before. Like, again, we, you know, we we knew we lived in a very liberal place. There was no illusion that we were somewhere even remotely conservative. But again, we had our communities, uh, the Israeli community is pretty conservative, the Russian Jewish community is pretty conservative. So we didn't mind so much. And then COVID happens. And look, I, you know, the idea of amnesty now to forgive everybody who was wrong, I want to hear some apologies first. So I, I acknowledge I was probably the first person to argue for closing schools in March 2020 because it did not make sense to me that my husband had stopped going into the office, but my children were still going to school and there was this virus coming. And I've apologized and I've you know, lamented that so much over the last few years. And I, I wrote a whole column about how I was wrong. 
But where are the other people to say that they were wrong? Where are their apologies? And by April 2020, I knew I had made a mistake. I knew that, you know, this wasn't going to be two weeks to stop the spread. And it wasn't going to be like, oh, the kids are going back in May. And I realized an error had been made um, and I, I took responsibility. So by April, I'm arguing for things to open. And I could see even on the horizon that in September, schools may not open. And I start fighting like hell for it because it becomes very clear to me that even though they won't say, oh, schools are not going to open, they're not going to open. September comes around, schools don't open. Um, they keep delaying opening. And finally, they open on a very truncated schedule for my boys. My daughter does not go back to school in New York City until late spring. Uh, so it was a really trying time. And look, we have resources. We realized that our, our, our youngest son, who you know was in kindergarten at the time when this happened, he was in pre-K when COVID hit, and then he was in kindergarten when schools didn't open. He was falling behind and we saw it and we got him all the help he could possibly need. We focused on him and it was, still was really hard. And I watched my liberal neighbors march for social justice and for equity in summer of 2020. And then I watched them not say one word when the schools and inner cities didn't open, but they got their own kids tutors and pods, or they moved to like their beach house to send the kids to school there. This was happening all around me and it broke me. I couldn't take it. This was it for me. The, the line for me was that these people did not care about anybody but themselves and they would not speak up at all and that they were super meek and not brave at all. And this was not the New York that I had grown up in. I, again, the lack of acknowledgement of reality just killed me. It really was. It, it was breathtaking at the time. And in retrospect, I mean, you and I saw it as completely outrageous, criminal, even what they were doing, especially yeah. to children. But I think we saw pretty clearly almost immediately that this was all about power and control. It wasn't about a virus. And then ultimately, it wasn't about vaccines or shots or anything else. It was about power and control and using the virus as a lever to reorder, re-engineer the U.S. economy and really reorder American society and life. But, right. you know, the, there are so many small businesses that have closed permanently. I mean, really, there's yeah. been tremendous damage that's been done. But the littlest victims, which you have spent so much time championing. I mean, let, let's talk about those extended school closures, Carol, because American kids have fallen way behind. The learning loss has been staggering. Right. It, it is. And, and, you know, we're seeing these numbers now and like the Times and other liberal papers keep reporting on it as if it's like, oh, wow, school closures led to all of these terrible outcomes. Who could have possibly seen this coming? And those of us who saw it coming are like tearing our hair out because obviously this was going to happen again. I saw this happening in my own family where I, I was going to quit my job. I, I wrote a column about how I love being a writer. I love being a columnist, but my kids are like adrift. And my older two were already kind of old enough to kind of sustain themselves, to do the Zooms on their own and to to do the work. But my, my youngest, you know, he's basically half puppy. Like I, he's not <laughs> ready to like, you know, deal with like, I, there was a day where he, um, his teacher 
contacted my middle son, who was a few years older than him, and said, listen, your brother keeps joining. He was in kindergarten. He said, your, your brother keeps joining like the fourth grade PE class. And he just is in the wrong Zoom room. And he's just doing PE with the fourth graders. Like, <laughs> you're home. And he's like doing push-ups in my dining room. Um, and, but it's like, also, who cares? Like he, he's doing push-ups in the dining room. So who cares what class he's in? So the idea that we didn't know, we knew by summer 2020, we already knew. We knew things were going to get really bad. Those few months of closures, which everybody did, look, even like Florida was closed um, for that for that spring 2020, you know, all over the world, schools were closed. And so we already were seeing a delay just from those months. And then for places like New York City and all these cities in California and in blue areas, it was the blue areas that stayed closed for 2020, 2021 school year. You, you saw these kids falling behind. You saw that they were nowhere near where their older siblings had been at the same time. And we knew this was going to happen. This is, this is no surprise. Uh, I would say also you're, you're saying, you know, it was about reordering the economy and it was about um, control. And absolutely. It was also it was the moment where cancel culture was sort of at its peak. So it was a lot of self like you know, it wasn't the government policing, but it was like people were policing their neighbors to make sure that nobody was saying anything that they weren't allowed to say. It felt very Soviet to me. And it was just a moment where if you were like, maybe schools should open like on a local neighborhood group, you'd get all these people saying you want teachers to die or like you're a right wing maniac. And these people would be like, I'm a liberal. I, I read the New York Times every day. I don't know what you're talking about. But they saw that their their speech got shut down. And jobs were targeted. I mean, they were targeted in so many different ways. Their kids were shunned. These are all true stories that happened during the pandemic where if they said that schools should open, which is the most obvious basic thing ever, um, they had their lives destroyed. And this was happening on micro and macro levels all across the country. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, it had nothing whatsoever to do with science. Like much of this did not have anything to do with science because kids really weren't affected by the virus. And if they contracted, it was very mild. It wasn't the same yeah. as if you're 85 with diabetes, you know, and yet, they, right. right, they still I would wouldn't also say that in New York, where my sons had the it's called it was called the hybrid model, where they went to school two days, uh, one week and then three days the next week. That was the most COVID spreading model possible. Right. <laughs> because It was like these kids were together two days a week. And then the other three days, they would disperse throughout the city because, you know, they weren't it wasn't like people have a variety of different child care solutions for this. Maybe they'd go to their grandma's house or they'd go to a, some sort of play group or they, they would do something else for the other three days. Nothing spread COVID more than the, the, the dumb plan that New York City came up with for schooling. Well, and, you know, the fault really rests with the left, the teachers unions and, you know, the, the Biden White House after Trump left office. Right. Because now we've got all of this evidence of the actual collusion between the Biden administration and Randy Weingarten and the teachers unions. That's right. So the Biden administration pressured the CDC to have Randy Weingarten sit down and actually rewrite school opening guidance. And the thing that I always point out about this is I'm not talking about 2020. I'm talking about February 2021. Schools in normal parts of the country in places like, you know, Iowa and Florida and Texas and, you know, in red states basically are open and flourishing at this point. But the schools in crazy blue areas that listen to teachers unions are still closed. February 2021, the CDC finally admits that the six foot rule makes absolutely no sense because how could it you're in a closed room who cares how many feet apart you are and so 
they're about to shift the six foot rule to make it three feet, which also makes no sense, Monica, obviously, but whatever. They were at least going to like get more kids into the classroom. And Randy Weingarten puts a stop to this. And it just shows how connected these people all are. Randy Weingarten got to design healthcare policy because she's an ally of the White House. And so like a lot of times, you know, I just feel like people will be like, oh, it's it's the teachers unions. Yes, it's the teachers union. Sure, they're they're strong. But we have to make sure to note that it's the Democrats who let this happen. It's it's absolutely the Biden White House and other Democrats, Democratic governors around the country who let her do this. Yes, it's because they're so weak that she's so strong. Yeah, they're they're beholden to Randy Weingarten and the teachers unions. They're addicted yeah. to their money. And so the right. corruption runs really, really deep. I do want to mention that Carol has a new book coming out in March of next year with Bethany Mandel called Stolen Youth, How Progressives Are Replacing Innocence with Radicalism. And I'm sure this is going to be a part of it. And I know you'll be back on this show to talk about it, Carol. <laughs> but I just want to make mention of that. How do we get our kids back on track? I mean, this is going to be a heavy lift because the damage was so severe. Yeah. So I, I mean, you know, in my perfect world, we completely stop having letting the teachers unions have any influence, uh, but that's going to be very hard in blue states. And I think places like New York really tried to vote themselves into sanity this time. You can look at like Long Island is like a wash in red South Brooklyn. My home is, uh, you know, very red um, parts of Queens, but obviously the population of Manhattan kind of slows it down because these people in Manhattan, they have a lot of money and it can, they can get whatever they need for their kids. And so who cares about everybody else's kids again? And so I don't know what happens if we don't get this teacher union, teachers unions out of our lives. They do not care about children. They are not the children's union. They are the teachers unions and they only care about their bottom line. Um, You know, Randy Weingarten, the day after the election, was in Puerto Rico with New York Governor Kathy Hochul. And it just shows that absolutely no lessons have been learned and that she will continue to have all the influence that she has because these Democrats allow her to. So. I, you know, I don't know, other than just trying to vote in a sane manner, voting against these Democrats who allow this to happen. Um, but the focus has to be on the children. And it has to, I mean, you know, it, it goes hand in hand with stopping CRT and gender ideology. Even if you're on the left and you're like, I don't know, I think CRT is not bad. Or like, I, I want my kids to know about gender ideology. This is every minute that this is going on in schools is a minute that they're not learning math and science and, and history and et cetera. And I think people, parents need to recognize, even if they are on the left, that this is damaging the, the children's actual education, that it's not just your values being taught in school or the teacher pushing their values on your kid, which are all, you know, I think awful, but like, let's say you agree with it. It's still damaging to their actual academics. And I, I think, all parents kind of need to join together and fight against anything other than academics being taught in school. Yes. And we've started to see that over the last couple of years with school boards being flipped, even in deep blue places like Chicago and San Francisco and Seattle and so on. So there is hope. Um, In our final moment or two with you, Carol, you know, there are some on the left who now say, hey, COVID's over. It's all water under the bridge. We need an amnesty for every villain who put these mandates and and other restrictions in place. Are you up for some amnesty for these criminals, Carol? I want to hear apologies. But beyond that, I have a column coming out today on Fox News, like uh, later on today, that... uh, 
we need hearings. We need House hearings. The, the GOP won the House. I want to see them make use of it to have House hearings because the story that I told where the Biden administration pressures the CDC is not the only story. We also had Anthony Fauci arguing that Biden's spending plan had to had to pass in order for schools to open. Again, this is February 2021. Um, so I think we need hearings. We need to have these people testify in front of the House. We need to have them on the record for what they did, how they politicized our healthcare agencies, how they set children back, how they made everything about themselves and about their party and about anything other than science. And I, I think that the GOP needs to grow a pair and to really fight here. There's a, a couple of things that they need to fight over, and this is absolutely one of them. The children of, of the country need them. 100%. I don't think most Americans are feeling particularly generous or forgiving on this, and I've been calling for a COVID accountability project, investigations, prosecutions, prison time if necessary, because what they have done to to all of us has just been unconscionable. And they did it not out of public health concerns, but they did it out of this idea of fundamentally transforming the nation. And so many lives have been lost and destroyed over the course of this, that there has to be accountability. Carol, I want to thank you so much. You are extraordinary. Thank you so much, Monica. I loved being on with you. Oh, always, always. Carol Markowitz, columnist with the New York Post. Read her work a couple of times a week. She's just amazing. NYPost.com and follow her on social media. She is at Carol with a K. Carol Markowitz, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, when we come back, my thoughts on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame not to be missed. First, so guys, listen up. It's time to make your health great again as we get closer to the new year. For anybody looking to ignite their fat-burning metabolism, and Lord knows we need that during the holiday season, right? Way too many cookies going on. Boost their energy and transform how they look and feel. They must start taking care of their liver. Your liver is your body's master detoxifier. It performs over 500 key functions in your body every single day. It's responsible for cleansing and removing thousands of harmful toxins, man-made chemicals, and yes, alcohol. After decades of wear and tear, our liver slow down and become sluggish. This is why so many of us struggle with weight gain and feeling tired all the time. Fortunately, there's a simple, all-natural solution that I absolutely recommend. It's called Liver Health Formula. Liver Health Formula contains 12 powerful botanicals clinically proven to recharge and protect your liver at the cellular level. It helps restore your liver's detoxifying abilities, boosts your energy levels, and can kick your natural metabolism into high gear. Liver Health Formula is backed by the latest science and approved by American doctors, and every bottle is manufactured right here in the good old USA. And right now, as a listener of our show, you can try Liver Health Formula completely risk-free and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you'll receive a free 30-day supply of nano-powered omega-3. This powerful blend of omega-3 fatty acids supports a healthy heart and brain with four times better absorption thanks to this special nano-delivery system. You're also getting four free eBooks to support every aspect of your health and longevity, regardless of your age. So go to getliverhelp.com slash Monica 
or call them toll-free at 800-282-1757 to claim your risk-free supply of Liver Health Formula and all five bonus gifts. That's getliverhelp.com slash Monica or call 800-282-1757. You're covered by their 365-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to risk, but supplies are limited. So head on over to getliverhelp.com slash Monica or call toll-free 800-282-1757 right now to order Liver Health Formula and claim your five free bonus gifts while you still can. Again, that's getliverhelp.com slash Monica or call 800-282-1757. We'll be right back. All right, guys, as we wrap up today's show, oh, also don't forget to send me an email, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. I want to just end today's show with some final thoughts, some special thoughts about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Every year I sort of watch it. It's always sort of like on in the background. And every once in a while, there's an act or two that I feel like, oh, okay, you know, cool, cool. But this year was something special for me. I came for Duran Duran and I stayed for everybody else. Every year, of course, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony has all of these legends that are honored and they all get up on stage and they perform. So they're all legends, of course. But some legends mean more to you and your life than others. Almost all of the acts inducted this year mean something to me. They provided the soundtrack of my childhood, my teenage years, and I know to so many of you as well. This year, there was like a grand slam of acts that really did and do continue to mean something to me. This isn't a commentary on their politics Most of them are probably on the left or their characters. Lord knows what these people have done. And it's not up to me to judge that. Okay. It's up to the big guy upstairs. This is just a commentary on how their music has brought me joy over the years, dancing, singing along with them in my bedroom with the hairbrush in front of the mirror or alone in my car. <laughs> I remember like growing up listening to these, uh, these acts and like singing alone in my car and having guys especially drive past me, like doing the sing song thing because they'd see me and I did not give a crap. I still sing alone in my car. All right. So the memories of their brilliant songs, just bringing back a certain time in your life, nostalgia for maybe a simpler time, like in the case of so many of these acts, the 1970s or the 1980s, even the 1990s, it brings you back to a certain period of your life and what was going on in your life, but it also brings you some nostalgia for this simpler time, or at least we thought it was a simpler time, right? So the songs and the personalities just catapult you right back and give you such a warm, cozy feeling. Duran Duran opened the show. They were the first group, first act, first artists uh, to be honored at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Listen, guys, confession. 
my bedroom walls and my locker at school were plastered with pictures of Duran Duran. Okay. For years on end, Duran Duran. It's all I could see. It's all I wanted to know about. I would have run off with any of the five members of Duran Duran. In fact, to this very day, I would still run off with any of the five original members of Duran Duran. My favorite, the drummer, Roger Taylor. I had a chance with my sister to meet the band a couple of years ago. Please, please. I I talk for a living, as you know. I had no words. I was rendered mute, starstruck beyond. I would still run off with any of them, okay? So Duran Duran, that the whole induction ceremony, their performance, their speeches, all of it just threw me back to a simpler, more fun, lovely, warm time in my life. And it was just, I, I actually cried. I cried. I admit it. I cried throughout their entire <laughs> performance, speeches, the whole thing. Out of joy. Out of joy. Just pure joy. Pat Benatar, also honored. She, toughest nails, hard-rocking woman. Phenomenal. Total badass. She and Joan Jett, the two badass female rockers of my my childhood, early teenage years, mid-teenage years. All, Pat Benatar, just amazing. And she and her husband were both honored because he was her key guitarist and key collaborator throughout their long career. So loved seeing her. She was amazing. Carly Simon, what are we talking about? Carly Simon is an icon. They're all icons. Carly Simon, the, the golden age of songwriting, right, in the 1970s and I remember being like a little, little kid and my parents playing Carly Simon nonstop. And I grew up singing to her. Remember the the cassette tapes? I'd throw them in the car. I'd throw them in my, you know, the, the Walkman. Remember that? And just belt out her songs with her. You're so vain. Come on. Come on. Best breakup song of all time. You're so vain. Is it about Warren Beatty? Is it about Mick Jagger? Who's it about? No one knows still. I think she she said it was about Warren Beatty, but still a little unclear. Carly Simon, incredible. The Eurythmics. Are you kidding me? Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart. Soundtrack to the 1980s for me. Okay. Sweet Dreams Are Made of This. Missionary Man. All of it. And they performed so many of their, their hits on the stage and just amazing. Eminem, Eminem from the 1990s, Dr. Dre inducted him in. He performed on the stage and say what you want about Eminem, but the dude is incredibly talented. He can rap faster than I think any other rapper, right? But Slim Shady had some huge, huge songs So that was sort of the soundtrack to our 1990s life, right? And then at the end, and there were other acts too, Harry Belafonte, Judas Priest, they they all got up and did an amazing job. But at the end, it was Dolly Parton who brought down the house. Dolly Parton is one of those very rare, very rare unifying figures in the culture left for us. She brings people together because she's never gotten political, And that's been an amazing thing for Dolly Parton. Plus, she comes out of the Smoky Mountains, Tennessee. She's never, she's never strayed from being that young girl. Dirt poor, 
no shoes, coat of many colors, as one of her songs says, because her mother stitched together a bunch of rags to make her a coat. That same girl is still the Dolly Parton of today. She hasn't gotten sucked into the fame. She hasn't changed who she is. No drugs, no alcohol. Same husband for 50, 60 years. I mean, she is an icon for a reason. And she had a hilarious speech where she's like, look, I'm a country girl. And I have had a country music career. She said, so I was really shocked when they called me up and said they were going to induct me into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then she comes out in a black leather outfit with a guitar. And she got, and I mean, the woman is what, in her 70s, right? Looking so hot, so fierce, so beautiful. She comes out with a guitar and she's like, well, I just figured if y'all are going to induct me into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I better earn it. And she proceeds to sing a song that she wrote just for the ceremony. <laughs> the woman is incredible. And, and all of these rockers come out and they're singing with her and they're playing with her. Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics, Simon LeBon of Duran Duran, Cheryl Crow, Annie Lennox. Um, all of these people came out and they were singing with her and playing with her on stage. And that was the end of the show. I'm telling you. An amazing from beginning to end. So I don't even care if you're not into these acts and they don't mean as much to you as they do to me. Watch the entire show because it was incredible. I think it's on, it's being rerun on HBO and HBO Max. So if you can check it out, I, I hope it brings you as much joy as it's brought me over the last couple of days. I love this show. I was dancing in my living room, singing along except without the, the hairbrush, but just like that, that 13-year-old girl in her bedroom, just magical. So I wanted to share that all with you today, a little something different to bring us some levity, which we desperately need. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for being here, for visiting our terrific sponsors. We all really appreciate that. Have a great start to your week, and I will see you right back here on Wednesday with a super fun pre-Thanksgiving show. See you then. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.